Hi everyone, this is Jeremy. I just wanted to do a quick intro because I forgot to do one during the actual show. I'm talking with returning guest Garrett Burt and his lady McHenry Thompson about the filmmaker Neil Breen and, his, and Neil's film Fateful Findings. You can purchase this film from Neil himself at his website or find, eh, let's say, better supercuts and best ofs on YouTube. So check the show notes for links. you committed suicide. I cannot believe you committed suicide. How could you have done this? How could you have committed suicide? I can't help you out of this one, Jim. With all we've been through, I can't pull you out of this one. Goodbye, my friend. Goodbye. I want to be honest with all of you. I've been hacking into government and corporate systems all over the country. All over the world. I have discovered more information than any hacker ever has. Ever. What I have found will shock you. Here are the files and supporting documents and supporting truths, the factual documents. I'm releasing these files to the public today. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. What's that? I like my feet. Yeah, you got good feet. You got a good arch. Yeah, so it's why it's it's why you know just enter enter your name in Google. That's why your name plus feet comes up in the uh, in the uh, in the auto in the auto suggestion so easily. I'm just hey, dude. The other I googled myself the other day, and I once again was very happy to see that you know only really boring stuff came up. I like to see that there are other Garrett Burts that have more of a web presence than I do. Uh-huh. So it's like a guy that's like. I think he's an, uh, a realtor in like the Chicago area. <laughs> yeah, there really aren't any other McKendry Thompsons. So hey, pretty not, much not, if a McKendry no Thompson comes up, it's me. And again, knowing the things that could potentially make it on their way to the internet, I'm really glad mm-hmm. that it's all really boring stuff. There's like three things. It's either something that I did as affiliated with work. They are photographs of an event, a few events that hey. I actually got, you know. Jeremy, will you grab for, me that last beer? Like photo- photographic credit for some events. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty good. I know. Like on an actual like <laughs> new- newspaper slash, you know, internet version of the news. I haven't, I haven't actual actually, credits. I actually haven't Googled my own name that. in a long time. Do you have a, a bottle opener in here? I got a lighter I could probably use. Excuse me. 
Excuse me. Oh, I hope we're not recording. I'm such a lady. <laughs> a two ladies. I think that are, I think. <laughs> so that what I just did was something me and Jeremy used to do all the time. There's a British. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Seriously, you know, we could totally sit around your living room and have me listen to you talking to a microphone over <laughs> headphones. <laughs> that seems very <laughs> strange. At least I'm not asking you to like do Bill Clinton while speaking oh, to yeah. a microphone with headphones on. <laughs> what if I did Bill Clinton but said other things that other presidents said? Mr. Gorbachev, <laughs> tear down this wall. Hey, can you keep doing that a little bit? Nah. Please? A little bit. <laughs> okay, we'll pick a president, and I'll think of if I can think of a quote that he says. I don't really care what you say. Just, just you know, do a little mm. more bill for me, please. Even no matter how angry I am with him right now, because you know he is a horrible human being. Mm. Um, I, 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 I. In the spirit of the show, I want to do Bill Clinton doing like a Neil Breen. Okay. Type I'm, of. I'm good with that. I'm getting in. <laughs> I'm getting into my headspace, ladies and gentlemen. I don't even know if he's recording this. But... No. <laughs> Just doing my my actor stretches. <laughs> just mulls me, rolling my head back and forth. You know, does this mean we now also get to narrate what we're doing because we're talking into? So into so Neil mind. Breen's move is basically he just says something uh -huh. Uh -huh. Tw at least twice. Yes. So he would say Very something. He would say slowly. something like, "I've got some interesting information. <laughs> I've got." interesting information about what the countries of the world are doing. That's so hot. It should be noted that uh, Garrett was doing the uh, the Clinton uh, <laughs> pressed thumb <laughs> gesture towards the press box. Because you're not allowed to point anymore as a politician. Do you know? Uh, it's aggressive pointing. Don't point at me with your man finger. <laughs> Again with the finger. Unless, no. you know... <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna I was gonna drop good, in a reference to. All right, I'm just gonna be thinking about that all day now. What H. L. Mencken, yes. pre-war pre American satirist and conservative, yes. talking about good and hard yes. and just kind of like his, everything about that I love. His his sweaty grunting body mixed with Neil Breen's <laughs> visage of, of oh, oh. denim denim okay. denim vest clad, <laughs> you know, baby boomer whiteness. Uh, you know, running, running around, just, running really, around the, uh, the really American desert. I really don't even want to know what my imagination, my, 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 my imagination is going to whirl up with that later this evening. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't need to imagine hard. We you know, like I said, Neil Breen has, uh, has no problems with displaying his body on camera, much like Tommy Wiseau. If you have that much self-regard. Okay, so, so you've mentioned this name on a number, a number of times now, at least not here on the show, clearly, but like while watching this movie who is this dude tommy wiseau is a you have such wonderful things to learn yeah <laughs> uh, we have such films to show you uh, i love or, being edified by man was that a yeah. hellraiser 2 reference i think so what's yeah. the actual line we have such such, sites? such suffering or i don't he always says suffering I can't that's, like, that's his word i'm not dropping that sound effect in because <laughs> Have such sights to show you. Um, you don't like horror movies. Well, no, I don't like Hell Hellraiser and Hellraiser, uh, especially because br uh, British, British uh, Clive Barker has the, got the weird mix of like just effed up British horror, but also like the the uh, British horror with um, a weird BDSM sort BDSM, of. BDSM, yeah. yeah. It's 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 very uncomfortable. Did we get to watch this? 
We haven't. It's the one I keep saying is so gross. I hadn't seen it in a long time, and I'm like, this movie is fucking gross. That's on the list. Yeah. Okay. Can we talk about something really quickly? Because why not? McKendry is <laughs> McKendry is interested in watching and not watching. She is interested in watching, but she's she's thinking about writing a horror film. You like to watch, don't you? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, she uh, does. Well, I'm actually more of an exhibitionist when it comes down to it. I like an audience. Well, there you go. Well, yeah. what for? You know, thank God for the modern internet. You have so many uh, opportunities available. I like them readily. I, I like people to just see them, though. I like to have like that feedback from the from my audience, not. Just you you can't just be one way. You need to have the FaceTime. I do. I really do. Well, like I said, once again, my, uh, modern technology is there. Um, oh, no, wait, but uh, back to you wanting to write a horror film. Yeah, what were you going to say about that? So I was just going to say that I really like horror films, and it's really fun that you're like, we. I need to watch dozens of horror <laughs> films. And so like when I bring up how gross Hellraiser is, and you're like... Oh, we need to watch that. <laughs> Fuck yeah, we need to watch that. Hey, the creepier and the grosser, the better, baby. So I don't know why it matters, but uh, uh, Clive Barker is a gay man, oh, so really? that might be what informs that sort of BDSM part of his... Uh, there's probably a nice uh, sort of underground BDSM well, scene in, in London yeah, that maybe he was a part of. Definitely I, like 70s, I don't know 80s about him. Yeah, that's something to do with it. If Jamia was here, she could... Um, she would. She, I, I would bet good money she could... Uh, she could fill us in, as it were. Jamia, who was in the last episode. Yes. Because I listen. Other uh, other Portland author and previous guests. Actually, previous multiple guests, except the other episode uh, that she was on, where myself and our mutual friend John uh, talked about, well, we were going to talk about The Crow and uh, kind of got off track for about two and a half hours. And then at the end of the night, we we're like, okay, we'll just come back and record an actual episode about The Crow. We haven't really done that yet. We probably should before uh, Halloween happens, but that's not going to happen. Um the crow was the crow a comic book before it was a movie. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because I don't think that Even movie is is that. very good personally. I enjoyed a lot. Do you the very the very first uh, watch watch it again? You can see how if if it was just for the comic, the comic is kind of memorable for what it was. But the crow would not be the thing it is to the point where they're trying they were they keep trying to to reboot it again mm -hmm. you know even years years after the last one which you know which starred Eddie Furlong where he yes. where he's in his crow makeup and looks way way too a disturbing amount like Feruza Balk in the craft um <laughs> we saw that do you remember we were having breakfast brunch at the at the um at the at the fucking Kenton club uh -huh. and we, there was a weird crow at, oh, i think that was yeah, the one it yeah. had to be it was very strange. Yeah, and it's not even getting into the late nineties, late nineties, early aughts syndicated television series uh, of The Crow, which was really kind of was like someone saw like Hercules. It was like that weird era of uh, after you know, you, first you have Next Generation, which proves the model it's could work. Then you had Hercules, which is kind of a hit, and then you have Xena, Xena. which is really a friggin' hit, a it's huge like, hit, a huge hit. So you now you had all of these midnight and my 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 late buddy John roommates uh drinking partner and occasional um uh college radio co-host because he would come on the air with me uh, back in ann arbor he was a massive massive fan of all of these because you know undiscerning you know uh love the guy undiscerning genre consumer also um which is unfortunate because he actually uh i think he he died the day before guardians of the galaxy came out that's another story. Yikes! That's at the sad. age of thirty, at the age of thirty-nine, uh, kids don't spend twenty years of your life smoking cloves and drinking hard liquor. Anyway, for a number of reasons. Yeah, um, but with jo uh, what talking about? Okay, no, because John was a fan of all of these syndicate late '90s syndicated series, 
and but one of these really was um what, what they they made one of these for the crow <laughs> where it was like you know that you you know like kung fu the legend continues except the crow comes to i guess it comes to a new town and helps somebody but it's like it, from the bits that i saw it's like all really cheaply shot and like shot in daylight you wouldn't and looks like really me weird. when i'm very upset yeah the the film for the crow however watching it it's kind of both um the a mix of the aesthetic but also the amount of humor because the original book is, is the crow would not be a thing if they just went off the comic book it, it's like ernie hudson and especially brandon lee the amount of humanity and humor they bring into the film is 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 part of it in is part of how so, became it, the film makes the crow without the film you have nothing you have a comic the comic is gravely serious is that what you're saying like, yes it doesn't it takes itself itself very very seriously it's, just remember, but it's brutal it's, it's 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 a comic written from trauma yeah i feel like i saw the crow the movie like probably freshman year of high school thought it was the coolest thing in the world watched it again probably like five six years later when i was like this is not a good movie uh so maybe i need to watch it again as as jeremy says i have a soft spot for it because it was. It came out the week of. I believe it came out the week I graduated high school. Ah, I can remember that week because that was again mid May nineteen ninety four. We all went and saw it like opening nights. Uh, it was. It, I, it was either the week before. It was within two weeks of Stephen King's The Stand miniseries. Another, like I said, another so unfortunate. Another thing that I, like I said. All these stuff. I just remember it because of this is I all. I love around. that book, by the way. Just so you understand. They violated it in that miniseries. The um, the one thing, except for the opening sequence, the open the opening sequence of the Stand TV show is kind of I thought it was perfect. Did but they it, make a movie out of the Stand in like the late seventies? No, it was no. You can't do a single no, like, think, movie of that. You it's, know what I'm thinking of? Way is, too much. You think of Jerusalem's Lot, Sam's Lot. I, I'm thinking of Andromeda Strain, which isn't even a. That's. Isn't completely even a, different. A Steven, but isn't it about a no, disease? They're both, they both about a disease. Well, yeah, but it's Michael Crichton, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. definitely Crichton, but it is. Uh, they are both outbreak films. Yes, but a very different like era and setting, and and one of the and really and really the stand is a post-apocalyptic story, which is why I like it so much. And okay. Like, and then Andromeda Strain is hard sci-fi. Is very hard okay, sci-fi. Is which unfortunately, which I've I never loved read either, up until so. the very end of it, where it devolved into an action sequence because apparently Crichton can't figure out how to end the movie or a story. Um, He's not good at endings. Stephen King's been accused of that as well, from what I understand. Well, there are a number of people who aren't good at endings who are quite good otherwise, like you know Stephen Spielberg. And Night Shyamalan. He's, you know, <laughs> There are a lot of things going on with well, he, Night. He had two. Well, it's one of the, he had two good endings. Um, well, back to the the Cracky Crow because I just want to finish this up. Um, again, I'm very impressed with your ability to like stay on some sort of linear track. Especially with how frenetic his mind is, he can always find where to come back to. I Do think you have it, like plot points that you're actually trying to hit during the course of this podcast? Uh, I'm gonna t- I'm going to attempt to again. You okay. know, I I have uh, just. I was not diagnosed until about nine, I think until about ninety seven, ninety eight. Then actually, when where, the, where they first gave me the computer test if to see if I had ADD or not, and I got bored and fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so that so they uh, and like I, said, I was this was this was late. I was, I was reading a book on on ADD and 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 it was like if you if, and I of course immediately skipped to the chapter with the test and it opens with if you skip to the af- the chapter with this test it's a good clue that you should be reading this book. <laughs> Her mom's a, a neat lady. Oh, cool. That helps. My mom. Well, I was gonna say my mom responds to Garrett in a similar way that I do, but that would be really awkward. Yeah, it would. Yeah. <laughs>
You don't know what's in her heart, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as I say, you were not dissimilar from my stepfather in a number of ways. Oh. All right, was it? Oh, it, ADD. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, let's get back to being serious, everybody. <laughs> let's get back to being serious about not being able to pay attention. And yes, then, and stay then on track. I go back to... Are we supposed to be talking about the crow? Wait, aren't we supposed to be talking about fateful findings? And the O'Brien. Yeah, there's yeah, a reason okay. why these there's a reason why these podcasts go for two or three I hours. I want to go after you're done with ADD and the crow. Oh, look, I finished off your other bottle of beer. There's, well, we have like this I said, one we, too. We got no. and we have we we do have ciders in the fr- like I said. Holy crap! Um, grapefruit tangerine cider. Anyway, was, was... is it totally inappropriate for me to ask to take a, take a sip of your cider? Yeah. Okay, thank you. You're a guest. Yes, we're, we're we're this is the most formal environment in all of Northeast Portland. Whoa! So there was a that's refreshing. There was one of those syndicated, you know, like like. Are we back to recording? Oh, I, we've been recording this whole time. No, I I, I I never turned it off. I, okay. That uh, I put a I put like a 16 gig uh, card in the recorder there, so we can do about um, at the at the at the, uh, at the sampling at 192k. Um, we can record another seventy-seven hours of uh, of audio. So put on a put on a cup, pot of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if anyone can talk for seventy-seven yeah. hours, yep. Put the kettle on. It's the three of us. Um, so do so. Do you remember one of those syndicated shows? There was one with I never watched it, but I wish I did. It had Bruce Campbell in it. It wasn't Xena because he was in Xena, right? Uh, it was the one that was set during. It was called like Jack of. Did he play Jack, Ares you know, Jack of Xena? Jack of either Jack of all trades. Or it came out at the same time as Cleopatra twenty five. Was it Cleopatra twenty five twenty five? That sounds because it familiar. was it was paired with this was very this was very this was pre nine eleven pre nine eleven post Austin Powers two <laughs> because this was um <laughs> those are very important like Jeremy's gonna tie it together <laughs> because at one point uh, because this was it was set during the Jeffersonian era mm-hmm. literally because. Uh, you know, the beginning, uh, Bruce Campbell was like an agent for President Jefferson. And at one point, um, they, uh, they have to, there was an episode where Napoleon co-stars portrayed by Vern Troyer. The uh, little dude? Yeah. Uh, wow. the, from Austin Powers, right? From Austin Powers Mini-Me. too. Yeah, Mini-Me. Uh, also known as, yeah, Vern Troyer. Well done. Uh, alumni of... Well uh, spotted. I yes. be- actually, I can't remember. I think he was a, I think he was a Michigan alumni. I can't Either he either went to University of Michigan, which is my alma mater, or uh, Central Michigan, which is up in Big Rapids, which is where Justin Nitz is from. Yes, really. He's from a he's he's from a place that isn't Cedar Rapids. Getting called a little incestuous. Something Rapids. Is it is it Big Rapids or Grand Rapids? <laughs> it's not Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids is is the is the is the right wing's uh, not well the, at least the Republican side of the state where Gerald Ford was it was a, a House rep from. And just outside of Grand Rapids, closer to Holland, Michigan, that's where Blackwater uh, was based. Mm. Uh, for as you know, my hometown started. You know, heavy, heavy left wing history. It sits down, sit down strikes started there, or at least helped to become in lo- Flint, where you're from. Yeah, in Flint. I'm, you know, you're it, from it, Flint. Yeah, Flint, Michigan. Oh, uh, I've heard of it. It's um, usually it. not. Yeah, usually for not good reasons. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know, home of the Grand Funk Railroad before Mark Farner went. Uh, the what know, railroad? The Grand Funk Railroad. Oh, that's not what I thought you said, and I was pretty sure I was wrong. I was no, going back to... You, I was, of course... Yeah, you thought I, of course, said the Grand Trunk Railroad. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Which it had nothing to do with was hard. an actual thing. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway... Um, Good and hard. So, yeah, so what brought up... Which well, makes me think of Neil Breen, by the way. Good what, and so hard. What, what brought up the, the Bruce Campbell show? Well, it was just one of those shows that, that 
was is what like what you're describing what the crow tv show would have been and xena and all that stuff and and i'm guessing was probably produced by sam raimi like xena was yeah all like Uh, all like all these like renaissance Sam Raimi produced xena i believe so yeah renaissance learning uh do you know who do you know who uh, lucy lawless's husband is no bob tapert aka producer of well, uh, if you, in fact, if you look at that movie poster that I have on top of the, uh, on top of that bag right there, uh-huh. Bob, that is a movie poster. The one that's for, rolled up? Yeah, that's a movie. That Garrett, is a, would you like to unroll that for me? Take, uh, uh, let, I we'll will pause do that. And, and please do. I want to see this poster. Ah, here we go. You know this movie poster. I really need to frame that. You do. This is wonderful. Whoa. Look, and notice what is written between, on, right under Bruce's crotch. <laughs> Oh my God, Jeremy! No, flip it around. You're between his legs. But, but, oh, and do you know what film that his co-star Impeth Davids did right after this film? No. Uh, it's backwards. Schindler's List. Wait, who did Schindler's List? Impeth Davids, who played what's your yeah the the, the femme fatale of this film, yeah. went from Army of Darkness to uh, Schindler's List. That's an awesome career, right there. But Bob, what more Ta- do you need? Bob Tapert, who was. I've done worse. Um, this, like I said, I bought that in like '96. Honey, it's, that really does need to be framed. Yeah, I bought that in '96. It's it's come along with me from, you know, ten places that I lived in Ann Arbor to the handful of oops, oops, handful sorry. of places that I lived in in Portland. Bob Tapert is Sam Raimi's producer. He is also husband to Lucy Lawless. Which, nice. if you watched the uh, Sam Raimi himself, there's a reason why both Bruce Campbell and Ted Raimi showed up in Xena uh, and Hercules. So wait, Bruce Campbell was he? Did he play Mars or Ares or whatever? Who did he play? Autilicus. Oh, okay. Was it he Autilicus? Was like, a, yeah. like a thief or something? Yeah, he was like he was like a roguish. A, a, he had a mustache. He was like a, and I believe a an Errol Flynn. Like, was it a pointy? Or was it just a mustache or was it a, point, a goatee as I well? I think he had a little a little pointy bit. But yeah. I don't. I hardly watched Bruce it. Bruce Campbell so. had a pointy bit. Yeah, did. Did he I mean, I mean, on his chin. Like, you wouldn't think that man would need whatever put like facial it, hair on his chin. Well, like, there's was, so much probably chin right, huh? happening. I mean, like maybe to shot. I mean. Uh, they, I mean, he his his Easily. memoir was called "If Chins Could Kill." That's right. But no, he played like you know, king of Th- king of things. Whereas jo- uh, Ted Raimi played Joxer. That was one of the one of the before they took over thing. It was one of the amusing bits about mid nineties is that you could get a Ted Raimi action figure from Sequest DSV and Bruce Campbell on a Congo the movie uh, trading card <laughs> because Bruce Campbell is the scientist, the lead investigator scientist from the beginning of Congo who investigates the gorilla talking gorillas and diamonds and whose body they f- discover later in the film and get his, uh, get the, you know, when they they look at, they have the laser and like, Oh, we need a diamond, we need a diamond. And they grab a diamond out of the, out of his corpse's hand. That's Bruce Campbell. Also, can nice. we go back to Zena for one sec, one more second? What the the time when she because uh, her <laughs> husband, her husband, her husband and friends were from Detroit, so she sang the national anthem. Uh, New Zealand actress sang the national anthem at a Red Wings game in Detroit, and uh, and. Um, Zena did. Oh yes. Does no. she have a good singing like, like voice? Like in the in the show? No. This is oh. this is like this was this was ninety seven ninety eight when the Red Wings oh, got it. Were, right. were the, 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 did the, he wear? Did she wear the outfit? 
oh no, if, if she were the outlet, she would not have popped out of it as she wound up doing at that live singing gig because at the very end she did a little, a little like a little like Rhonda Shear up all night <laughs> and popped out of her Whoa. top. Ah. And in the 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 we're late night, curvy now. yeah, we the early agree. yeah the the, er, the early web went gaga over that. Like oh my god, Zena is like but Zena's lip slip. I just want to clarify though, that. in this context, she was actually Lucy Lawless. She wasn't Zena. Uh, which one on the show or singing live? Like singing live. Singing live. No, yeah. Because she, was she wasn't wearing her ensemble. Like if she was actually yeah. wearing her leathers, then that would be different. No, the, no. She was she was there as just in full on like American showgirl, like like Radio City uh, Music Hall show. You know, showgirls kick showgirl like kickline, like a rocket. Yes, a rocket. That's how she was Fish dressed. Fish and stuff. Yeah, something like that. Like, uh, the the uh, you know search uh, once again the internet has photos and probably video of this. But uh, no, she well, was. In of the, course, it does. And she, yeah, she sang. This was I'm during. Sure there the, are many, many. I would say teenage boys, but I'm pretty sure Gen Xers like putting that on loop. Uh, she appeals to everyone, right? Yes, I mean her 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 appeal is universal. One can say right, but they but her pan appeal is what she would have. I'm fairly certain much, when what, I was in high school, which is when Zena was sort of at her peak, her peak. There were a number of young men of my acquaintance who spent time thinking about that wait when did you graduate high school 91 Zena didn't get on the yeah that's Zena was later Zena oh, okay. wasn't on the air until like 90 uh, uh, really? Hercules Hercules was on the Hercules had had those a few years later, wait so when was it are you sure no her, Zena was went when until, I was in high school when I was in Zena college? went until the early aughts Zena went it was like when did she start when did she start she was but, on for a while no, she was on for like seven years. No, but uh, do you remember like it's much like with Felicity when Gabrielle cut her hair and it was a big controversy. Because, oh my god! Anyway, <laughs> it was mid it was mid nineties somewhere when it started. Late, right? Yeah. Let me just say that that the men in my life probably had not advanced that much emotionally or sexually by no. the time I hit my mid twenties. Right. All right. So I mean, I they're like conflating them all. It's fine. The the things get sticky. The timelines get I'm not good yeah. with years. get blurry. I admit it. Let's get sticky. That's why you need Jeremy around. He, he remembers when absolutely what happens everything when happens. everybody gets good and hard. Yeah, let's mm-hmm. get let's get swifty. <laughs> Talking to the, to the <laughs> wait, RA. Wait, 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 wait. The RA who to, who hosted the, who brought in the the local her local therapist to do oh, the study right. session. Oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> About that. <laughs> I'll, I'll finish this goddamn thread if it kills me. Um, uh, bringing in, this, bringing in, um, talking to the RA about this, and she mentioned how like she was going to her her, uh, her this therapist because she had like a lot of ADD and whatever. I'm like, hmm, this sounds vaguely familiar. So I went on to this is 1996. Went on to Usenet, found the fact for alt support ADD, and one of the bits of the fact, uh, uh, one of the bits of the fact was kind of like. You know, twenty symptoms. I fit seventeen of them. Uh-huh. So that was one of those indicators. Uh, they're like, okay, maybe there's something here. All right, back to uh, and the, so that's the end of that one. And so from that, that's how I eventually would go on to get tested for this stuff. And like, yeah, you probably have it, which is why I am uh, why I may or may not be doing meds uh, related meds to that now. There's a clock right over there too. We're fine. I'm good. Um, <laughs> in, a, in a in a recording session, essentially about Neil Breen. The crow <laughs> is <laughs> Neil Breen. <laughs> the crow, good the movie. Crow, that was based on a comic strip, right? Or, or I mean, a comic book, yeah, a comic, comic graphic yeah. novel. No, comic series okay. done uh, over the course of between four and six issues. Like I said, done by a guy who was really traumatized by his. Um, I think his girlfriend. 
Shit. Was it? I think it was. I think she was killed by like kind of like randomly killed by a drunk driver. And he also, and when he was, he enlisted, and which really, which fucked him up a lot. Mm-hmm. He, so you, he enlisted, he was over in Germany reading about how somewhere else in Detroit, you had a couple that was mugged and killed just for like an engagement ring. And the two of these things kind of like helped germinate this idea of, again, it's kind of, the crow was him working through an attempt at kind of like, you know, working through this, this cathartic, working through right. the trauma. And, but the, the comic series itself is so much more dark and That's violent why be so great and nastier. Serious, right? Yeah. Much, yeah. much more. I mean, like I said, the guy, the guy's name, he named their characters in the crow that are named after joy division members. They're going like to say he's, he's there. The, the crow himself quotes everything from like, is quoting like everything from like William Blake to the cure lyrics. Um, but, if it, depressing. Yeah, if it's just if it had it just been for the comic, it would have just been something notable, but not classic. It was. It's not until the film where, thanks to the, the performances on the film and like just the vibe and the time and the place, I saw it again. Uh, we saw it uh, right when I right about when I was about to graduate high school. So it's kind of like you know, right place, right time. I think I went out and saw it maybe two or three more times. Saw it at the drive. <laughs> we saw it at a drive-in later that month. Um, paired with Beverly Hills Cop three, the uh, no they made three of those. Oh, the oh yeah, if not four, at least, but at least the third one, notable for taking place at a, having scenes taking place at a at an amusement park, and um, with a surprise cameo by George Lucas. Can we go uh, throwback Saturday to the last? Did you know that Stallone was supposed to be in Beverly Hills Cop? Yeah, really? Uh, yes. As whom? As, as, as Beverly Hills as Cop, who? as Beverly Hills as who? as Axel Ax- Foley, Ax- Ax- it was written for it was written for Sylvester Stallone, and he wanted to make it less of a comedy and more of an action film, and they didn't want to do that, so then they got Eddie Murphy, which yeah, I think was a good call. Which yeah, I, that was a good call. Which I believe led, I think may or may not have led to how he got involved with Cobra, but yes. or maybe that was just a coincidence. Well, I read that on the Cobra Wikipedia page, so that it had to have something to do with it. Right. Anyway. You read the Cobra Wikipedia page? Fuck yeah. When you were, you know, didn't you know, much like with Star Wars, Star Wars has its own wiki called Wikipedia. Well, of course it does. Cute. Um, That's inevitable. The, the, uh, and I only bring that up because last night, um, last night, Rachel wanted to, uh, hadn't seen Three Amigos in about 30 <gasps> years. So we watched, we watched Three Amigos. <laughs> Which still contains my favorite line. I can't, I, it, well, I go back and forth. My favorite line of Three Migos is either, Excuse me, are you the singing bush? Excuse me, are you the singing bush? Let me talk to him. Excuse us, are you the singing bush? Or, either that one, or, you know. Oh great! You've killed the invo- you killed the invisible swordsman. Damn it! I fucked it up. Oh great! Like you ki- oh great! You've killed the invisible swordsman. I'll edit that out. Um, but but we also watched the uh, one of the red letter media the aforementioned red letter media bits. From uh, uh, they're a deliberately satirical clickbait they put out in late last year was ten things you don't know about Darth Vader and it was it was Mike and Rich Evans reading th- with and like a huge like one of those big like four or five four or five foot tall um, Darth Vader dolls 
like standing between them and rich um let's just say mike mike stoklasa is reading you know like the, the facts of whatever you know fact number one here's what you don't know about darth vader's suits and he's reading through you know like what the suit is actually for and he's reading the entry he he, he printed out the sheaf of papers from from wikipedia and he's just reading like all the weird crazy ass like on the spectrum fan shits that fans have like worked out to kind of work you know to kind of fill in all the background details even to the point of like Darth Vader's armor is serial number and he gives the serial and he gives the serial number someone felt it was necessary to um, you know to work, work on all this weird like headcanon about about Darth Vader and so the and so the the entire this entire clickbait thing was just Mike reading out Wikipedia entries to Rich Evans and Rich Evans just laughing his ass off about like how insane and how in detail the uh, the all like this this like the, what is effectively fan wank because that's all it is just kind of like some you know just some guy wanking onto a keyboard and the the digital wankings showing up in this in but this isn't fan it wiki. Wonderful how diverse people's wankings can be. Um, I mean, it really does fill in all the crevices. Which you know you could yeah, cut, it does. yeah, much like much like yeah, much like the the <laughs> yeah, much like the line of dialogue from the ill-fated 2016 Ghostbusters film or trailer. Um, what? No, there's a line where Catherine, where, where uh, Christian Wig talks about how like you know I, she you know he slimed me it, it got everywhere and I mean everywhere you know and all the crevices or something like that <laughs> yeah so I haven't seen that yet neither have I it's playing at the lower hearse. yeah it's seven fifteen every night go. yeah we should go yeah right now it should happen well I know Rachel bring all this gear bring the podcast gear Rachel keep Rachel <laughs> Rachel wouldn't bother them at all Rachel wanted to she still needs wants to see it. I kind of want to see it because it's only four dollars and I figured after a couple pictures it'll very much be it'll be it's, it's one of those things where much like when I went and saw Suicide Squad, I saw it because like this is okay, gonna be okay. Let's not equate the new Ghostbusters with Suicide Squad. I think there might be like an exponential difference between the two. Not in terms of budget or of studio expectation for franchise building. Sure, but yeah, there's implementation. I think one of them maybe turned out a little bit less horrible than the others. All I'm saying. I reserve judgment until we see it. But uh, I think there's a. I will say this: there's no way in hell Ghostbusters 2016 could be as bad as Suicide Squad. It's this not is possible. what I'm saying. Yeah, it, it's not what possible. What he's trying to say is he enjoyed Suicide Squad after two pitchers of beer or whatever. Right. Unfortunately, Cinemagic does not sell beer by the pitcher. I had the, I had to uh, I had to pregame. Jeremy, uh, that reminds me of a story of you and me. <laughs> Or do you want to? Which one do you? The, the story when we purple went. Purple rain. Purple rain. Okay. <laughs> uh, purple rain. Um, back at the at the the Mission Theater in northwest port northwest Portland. This would have been Christ. What? A 06? long time ago. This is between oh six and oh eight. This was a long time ago. Thank God I did not drive to that night. Yeah. That was an apple bomb driving night. I think yeah. there was a lot of beer consumed this oh evening. Oh my! I don't even know how much. We 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 each had our own pitcher that we that we uh, that we finished. You say that like it's somehow surprising. But we had, I think, more than two pitchers total that night. I don't but, remember. But we were watching Purple Rain, and 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 it was a it was a specific presentation of Purple Rain where it was encouraged that you shout out and blah blah. blah. And an audience an audience involved Purple Rain. It was so fun. But were I people mean, dressed? No, it wasn't. Not that I recall. I think the I think the I think the hostess was, but I don't remember if anybody in the audience was. This was like I said, Mission Theater. So you had, it wasn't like um, rows of chairs. Mm -hmm. It was uh, it was table. It was like restaurant seating, tables uh -huh. and chairs, whatever, whatever. Did they that, sell the couches. Do do they did, still or did they? Did they at the time? 
They don't might remember. have had them along the side, yeah. but I don't remember. It's not like, yeah, it's it was before, if they Mostly switched like more. like the little tables, like bistro tables. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much more, much like that. But like you were, because I can remember we are, we during the film, we're running back and forth between table and bar <laughs> to reload, you know, like drinking, like, like fucking Oli or whatever it was. And yeah, coming back whatever and, there, because that place sells a very specific brewery, but then they also sell one cheap beer. Yeah. And we were getting that cheap beer. Rainier or Oli or whatever the fuck it was. A lot of it, yeah. Yeah, whatever it was, yeah. But we were, boy, did we drink a lot that night. We had so much fun. Yeah, it was a good time. Watching Purple Rain. And I thought I didn't like that movie, but it just turns out you need, you know, about 85 ounces of beer yeah. and it's and a lot of people and it's pretty fun yeah about yeah you you drinking about like what it was what would turn out to be about i don't know like about 40 or 50 weight watchers points worth of beer <laughs> consumed in a two-hour period i just really love the fact the person who brought up weight watchers points wasn't the woman in the room have you been on weight watchers jeremy uh on and off since 08 yes yeah all right i was my at the peak i well not at the peak but i dropped i think my most I dropped 25 pounds in 08 on that, got sick the next week for a couple of days, and that broke my cycle, and I started and I started bubbling back up. Um, I've, I have since learned, it's, it's, the most effective thing is just to log what you eat, and um, that I should not drink beer, which is why I've been switching over to hard liquor, which at least is far less fattening. Oh, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's a thing where... it's hard liquor, not beer. You really can't drink all afternoon, though, with the hard liquor. It's true. I yeah. can't. I can't. You can do that with the beer, which I've recently learned. <laughs> what do you mean? You recently... You're older than me, and you recently learned this? I like how you say that. But, um, yes, <laughs> normally I'm Where did you... Wait, wait, wait. Normally, wait, wait, wait. I'm not a day drinker in general, because it makes me sleepy, and I also tend to drink hard. I'm I'm a bourbon and rye. I'm like the American whiskeys is my preference. I don't usually drink beer. I almost bought whiskey. But I have recently learned that apparently I can drink a six pack of beer over the course of an afternoon and still remain reasonably confident. When we're having our lazy Saturdays, yes, is what you're talking while about. While watching the great. British baking show. Yeah. yeah. Twenty five dollars in a six pack to my name. This is McKendry with whom I watch the Great British Baking <laughs> yeah. Show. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. I appreciate it. The aforementioned mentioned on the uh mentioned on the salon Stallone show. Fucking recorders are still going. Who cares? You know the reason why. You know the reason why I have this. I still have like fifty pounds of of Michigan insulation is because of is fucking beer. Um, <laughs> by the way, this is an episode yeah, of yeah because nobody, no men in Portland have fifty pounds of insulation because of beer. Yeah. Well, the, this of course we're still on a podcast ostensibly about Neil Breen, a man himself who is so cut and <laughs> so so fucking ready yeah, to actually, show you his exposed chest. I do want to talk about oh, his God. amazing physique. But I, I feel particularly like McKendry okay. has something to say the about it. The thing is about... Okay, we, we, we got to work our way back through several threads. Can, can we pause for one moment, please? Certainly. All right. It's at some bar that's at Pioneer Place. Yikes. Oh, is it the punch bowl place? Yes, it's the punch bowl. Oh, punch uh-huh. bowl. Yeah. Which, uh, just look at the reviews of that, and, and just just the, the the visceral sense of horror I had. <laughs> like, why the fuck would you want... Well, I don't know. It's, I went uh, to a Christmas a work Christmas party there. It's designed for work Christmas parties. It, and it was good for that. Yeah. I mean, if I liked a bowl, I would have I would have had a nice Karaoke, time. Karaoke, sushi, all in oh, one place. Oh, they did have roki, didn't they? They have... And they have, like, rooms. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they like, do. Like, like karaoke rooms, I mean, not, <laughs> not finger banging rooms. Yeah, why would you need a room for that? That's what. That's what. You know, you need rooms for that. That's you need overcoats are for. No, that's for it. <laughs> you just that's, did that. You, you, you realize, right? No, that's I'm what. That's what, supposed to make sexual that's, innuendo. That's, not you. Oh yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. That's what, that's what restaurant booths are for. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the Marathon Taverna or whatever. Oh, I think any no. Taverna, really. I, I bet a lot of finger-banging joke goes on there. At least once I've You're done it in Cherries. Oh, wait. Um, no. Over finger bang now. bang baby finger bang bang you <laughs> <laughs> our old uh, South Park yeah, yeah 17 17 year old episode of South Park Anywho, uh, Neil Breed, huh? How much finger banging does he get up to in his movie? Uh, nothing on you know. It's, it's only implied. You gotta remember, Neil Breen, the filmmaker, so is far funny. more about. You will never. Um, one of his more one of his famous tropes, for as famous as his tropes are, are that you will never you never actually see full on full frontal. Um, You'll see full rear of him, <laughs> but for his coast, his always like I said, one of the uh, the creeper aspects is that uh, Neil Breen, a man who is in his mid fifties, early sixties, mid fifty fifty something, at the very least fifty three. Yeah, mid fifties at least. At you know, if he's a day, he's fifty five. I mean, purely a, based on his side pectoral that we see on a regular basis, I'm I'm going with at least fifty. Yeah. And he's not ample bosomed, you know. He's he's got a no. He's 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 he's, he's like a B cup, maybe at at, I, at most. And mm. the fact that that's how they're going, it uh, yeah, he's at least fifty three. He doesn't do just side boob for the women, which I assume is where we're going. Well, he does tasteful side boob. Uh, he, there's no there's no like frontal probably because either he doesn't want to expose it or more than likely he <laughs> um, no one in his presence will agree either agree to. Going full topless, full frontal topless, or can he afford to pay them? Okay, okay fine. If I kick in another five hundred dollars, I'm going to take two thousand. We do this. No, there's. It's always which makes me feel dirty if Although, that's what's actually happening. They do agree to get their nipples to be that hard on a regular basis, and so you know you might have to. It, well, okay, so either they're wait, wait. naturally they're naturally endowed with like large nipples, or there has to be some mm. sort of nipple fluffing going on. I, I bet the ad says hard nippled women wanted for acting. No nudity. It does have to be hard. I mean, they were just like naturally large, but either that or again, they have to have a nipple fluffer, and that's something I don't really want that's to think Neil about Breen. right now. Yeah, I was to say, with, <laughs> well, 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 but, just having him be in the room, he is so sexy. Yeah, it would just make with, my with, 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 with that director and, uh, and, share, and having to share scene, you know, having to be in scenes with that director. With the, the, well, just the how director. erotic the film is, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, but no, like I said, Neil Breen is all about the tasteful side movement. Even in, in, his, in Pass Through, his latest film, there is no tasteful side boom yet there is an explicit hilariously gratuitous uh tramp stamp exposure where the lead actress um who i could tell at least one other story about at one point you know just kind of completely like turns you know deliberately turns to the camera and like hoists up her <laughs> shirt just expose her thematically appropriate tramp stamp to the camera so was it a fake tramp stamp like for the movie um, judging from the, the his standard of excellence in in his other in the rest of his oeuvre, yes. So I have a question though. What is untasteful side boob? Um, untasteful That's an side boob. Question. Maybe I don't you know. Maybe maybe when they're all like mashed potatoes or something, or uh, just re or, like explicit. Maybe a so bit like too mashed explicit. Mashed potatoes in a bra. That is bad side boob. <laughs> yeah. Mashed potatoes can be your friend. Um, <laughs> 
This I is, like this is important. Potatoes. This means something. Yeah. God, we're refer- we're referencing uh, everything from uh, everything from um, shit. Two different sources of Weird Al references. <laughs> Because not only mashed potatoes can I be your. I forgot that was in UHF. Yeah, that's in UHF. What are you doing? This means something. This is important. I feel that I feel that Rachel still has yet to see last. I guess. Um, oh. uh, speaking of horror film, watching horror films, uh, finally showed her uh, Reanimator. Um, I, I have to make ago. a painful disclosure. I've never seen Reanimator. Reanimator oh. is great. I've read the story, the the H. P. Lovecraft story, which is, I think is quite different from the what what the film turns out to be. Yeah, right? the, I think the the film is more Frankenstein than Reanimator, but there are there are plenty. I mean, it takes place Barely. in the, the, it takes place at Miskatonic University. The uh, the na- there are plenty of like Lovecrafty name drops in there, mm-hmm. but um, it is. Uh, it's great as much like it, it's great as an example of the golden era of once again and I've talked about this before I need an episode about the golden era of American cor- horror comedies. Reanimator is definitely a horror comedy. Oh yeah, like I said, at one point you you have the uh, you know you have the the bad guy carrying around his own severed head. Yeah, I've seen bits from Reanimator to know that it's a That's it's a pretty a... silly movie, mm-hmm. but very Caravaggio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Caravaggio, but also um, with your villain who looks like the a, new much more, of his time. Uh, a much more <laughs> a much a much more a much more not stentorian patrician a much more patrician uh, a much more patri- uh, like blue blood patrician version of John Kerry of uh, as the uh, as a the more villain. blue blood patrician version of John Kerry. Yes, who was the guy that played him? That played Herbert. West? Does he play Herbert West? Isn't isn't that his name? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey Combs. Who uh, is actually he? That's the weird thing. Watching the film, Jeffrey Combs is like the kind of like you know not quite the he's definitely not the good guy, but he's you know the the titular titular character going back to Neil Breen. Neil Breen likes his titular character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but also, uh, but. It's a weird character. It's a weird thing where the um, uh, Richard Combs's character, as also Barbara Crampton's character, as like the love interest, have far, far more to do than like the ostensible like protagonist, like main you know uh, med student hero of the uh, you know uh, character of the film. It's it was much more like uh, yeah. <laughs> That's him from that movie. Yeah. He's uh, Garrett is showing me a photograph on he his is, phone. He is. Clear. It's kind of a thing where he's been. He's been in. Um, in it kind of. It, it's one of those things where it's 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 set up his uh, continual. Well, him and Barbara Crampton set up their continual employment in genre film. To even now, his thing is he has. Uh, I believe quite a decent career, or at least um, much like with how Holbrook did with Mark Twain. He has like a one man uh, Edgar Allan Poe show. Is that right? Yeah, you know, full on. You know, grew his hair out, grew the mustache, mm-hmm. and does the uh, and will do like married the, his thirteen year old cousin or whatever it was. Hey, that's just a side benefit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, how met? Yeah, how, folks. You know, <laughs> how pedophilia for your morning. God, what's, what, God, what is the what is the what is the case may be? What is the line from Dewey Cox? You know, uh, I know you're just my 13 year old cousin, Dewey Cox, but I love you and I want your hand. To, God, I can't I can't remember what the hell they do in that. I need I need that film on disc. It's um uh, another embarrassing uh, um, uh, you know what am I looking for? What's the word? Uh, admissions. Admission. Yeah, whatever you say to a priest. Confession. Confession. I've never seen the Dewey Cox story. See it because it's one of those films where, much like Spinal Tap, the more you know about music and music history, the funnier it gets. And as someone who makes as much as, and I'm not bragging you guys, $250 <laughs> a month playing music, Woo-hoo! 
Uh, I've never seen that movie. It's it, again worth it. It's um, my brother and my brother and I saw it and just laughing our heads off to it. And it's the uh, the scene where it um, the scene where Dewey where it kind of spoofs the the bit the the scene from Walk Hard. No, no I should say wa- uh, Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean you're walk, spoofing Walk Hard. Which, right. Yeah. But what well, you you are super. You, they are Walk Hard does spoof Walk the Line, but also yes. standard. You know, thirty years of of biopics. Especially musician biopics, right. of, of which there are more than a few. Uh, the scene where uh, the, their version of the bit from "Walk the Line," where Johnny Cash his brother loses his brother to an industrial accident, is far far better. And as my as my as my then roommates would say, it's kind of the whole, they weren't too big of fans of the film, but the amount of the 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 intensity of their laughter during that scene was worth the ticket price. Interesting, right? Nice. I liked the part. The one, one of the one of the scenes I saw was someone coming up and saying something like, "I think this rock and roll thing is going to really catch on." <laughs> yeah, and like that's the sort of thing that happens in like the Buddy Holly story. Yeah. Or like the Buddy Holly story. What a funny movie! God damn it, starring Gary Busey of all things. No one remembers that Gary Busey's in that. But the, well, the thing is that that's the thing about Walk Hard is that. That's yeah. the joke of the film is that subtext is text, you know, and, and like the, the actual the bit of the, one of the scenes during the 60s was like, Dewey Cox, we sure are living in a turbulent time or something like that. It gets in. It's, um, you know, um, or just or just, Tim, you know, just Tim Meadows, Tim Meadows character in there. Is, the you don't want to try this stuff. Yeah. He's smoking pot. Yeah. Get out of here, Dewey. What are y'all doing in here? We're smoking reefer. And you don't want no part of this shit. You're smoking reefers? Yeah, of course we are. Can't you smell it? No, Sam. I can't. Come on, Dewey. Join the party. No, Dewey. You don't want this. Get out of here. You know what? I don't want no hangover. I can't get no hangover. It doesn't give you a hangover. Well, I'll get addicted to it or something? It's not habit-forming. Oh, okay, well... I don't know. I don't want to overdose on it. You can't OD on it. It's not going to make me want to have sex, is it? It makes sex even better. Sounds kind of expensive. It's the cheapest drug there is. Hmm. You don't want it. I think I kind of want it. (laughs) Okay, but just this once. Come on in. And it's just the character, you know, is just playing the the band member role who gets Dewey into harder stuff. And like, you don't want any of this Dewey Cox, like, well, marijuana? No, I don't think it's like, it's you know, like I said, it's it's because the most like one of the greatest examples of like reverse psychology, of inadvertent reverse psychology ever. You know, it's like, it's not addictive at all. <laughs> yeah, it makes sex even better. <laughs> That's one of it. Doesn't he say that? Yeah. I, no, that, that a, there, are, there are several scenes of that. It's great. It's um, to the point where I've even like complimented Tim Meadows on his Facebook and like referenced it and gotten uh, gotten him to uh, to um, to enjoy that. I saw Tim Meadows. Brief, another non Neil Breen aside. Uh, I saw Tim Meadows at at maybe the second or third Bridgetown Comedy Festival doing improv with uh, yeah, he ASCAT. Was, yeah, he came here. He did an, I know he did an ASCAT one year. That knocked me out, man. Like, like... ASCAT? Yeah, that's a... It's an improv show. It is uh, a... It's it's a... It is a... It's a style of... Um, um, what do you think? Extended... 
It's a, a kind of a it's thing long that, form, long form improv scene based on an audience member's story. Right. Or, yeah. So you have someone that can tell a good story about something. They tell the story and then the other guys, I mean, the other person, the performers, the other, uh, the players. Well, yeah. Then. The players. Thank you, Jeremy. Hey, I'm good for uh, something. We're both, we're both today's man. Uh, <laughs> so the other players kind of in, enact, in enact humorous scenes uh, revolving around the story. Anyway, I got to see it with Tim Meadows. I want to say maybe Matt Besser was there. Uh, probably not. But a bunch of comedians that I really like and that I think are, are quite talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'd never seen improv before. And, I, and from what I understand, improv is mostly atrocious. No, it, well, it's it's just, it's a thing where anyone it's not so much a choice; it's just a thing that anyone can do with after training. And but any, most people do poorly. Is kind of what it sounds like. Well, to but me. wait, hold on. Isn't that kind of like saying anyone can do? Like people who know how to sing will say anybody can sing, which is yes, technically anybody can make certain sounds come out of their mouth in some sort of sense that seems like it may be singing, but that doesn't mean they necessarily should. Correct. Okay. Okay. Similar with that's improv. All, that's the point I'm trying to make. Right. Yeah, well put, McKendry. Thank you. There are there are multiple podcasts on on the Earwolf Network alone, which are based on the uh, the ASCAT. Yeah, improv model. for humans. Improv, Matt Besser's own improv for humans. Um, do they have improv for dogs? I don't know. If they do, I haven't heard it. Oh, sounds like bad podcast. So you want that live action? No. Improper dummies? I don't know. Improper dogs. Rough, 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 rough. <laughs> One dog says. Improper cats. <laughs> well, hey, come on. You know how you have Bandit. Bandit. Garrett has a cat named Bandit. Mm. And Bandit now has a voice. And so I bet Bandit could do some good oh, improv. Oh, yeah. I've given Bandit a, a, like, like a posh British person voice that uh, I want to animate and have him be like, well, it looks like I've uh, defecated outside of the box again. I'm so sorry, old boy. I'm so, yeah. Ter- terribly sorry. I couldn't, believe, I couldn't imagine how this possibly happened. St- still, it seems you should clean that up, shouldn't you? Uh, yeah. Maybe See, put it in a bag and then take it outside. Huh? I think Bandit could do some solid improv. Yeah, well, he's got good timing. Yeah, so I guess improv for cats. Not you'd, nev- you'd never seen improv before uh, b- before Bridgetown? Not live in person, no. Wow. My uh, first... outside, of, outside, of, like, outside of what's that show that... Everyone Whose line is it. it anyway? Whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Well, which is which yeah. is short form too, so comparatively yeah. quite boring. I I've taken at least it's still amusing, but they of course are professionals. Yeah, I've taken at least I've taken three uh, I've taken three uh, three M- three classes at the Brody Theater, at least one short class back at uh, that was almost like a mini course back in Ann Arbor, and it's one of those things where I need to uh, I need to start taking again just as a um, just for practices. Um, I'd love to try to do it. Self-fulfillment. Self-fulfillment. Anyway, Is your life just one study in improv? I wish I could say that, Mm. but I I don't know that that's true. But back to Neil Breen. Um, Now, who's Neil Breen? (laughs) Again, the thing about Neil, like I said, Neil Breen is one of the, uh, as has been noted elsewhere, his films are such that being exposed to them for the first time the um a strong impulse like, before the film is even over as notated you know the flop house podcast talked about this and other people have talked about this too is like i said at some point it's there's almost they inspire a giddiness of like oh my god um 
you know, who can I inflict this on next? You know, like I said, it's very much the same as Tommy Wiseau's The Room, which we should actually get back to explaining who Tommy Wiseau is. Oh, yeah, we never finished that. We never. Jeremy, I think you're the best to explain. (laughs) Tommy Wiseau is a guy who somehow wound up in America. Um, They've, after some, you know, after... You know, years later, it was discovered that he actually came. He he would never talk about his where he came from. All they know, um, they just knew they they figured that he lived in Paris for a while. Turns out he's actually from he's from Poland. He escaped. He escaped from uh, from uh, the from uh, Soviet era Poland. Made it to made it to Paris from Paris to uh, to San Francisco, and then somehow, due to underground connections. Or a sugar daddy, or both things illicit or licit, um, made a lot of money. Uh, had a, you know selling, I think like bootleg South Korean jackets, or it was it, some such. Neil um, Neil Breen, Tommy Wiseau wanted to, you know, you know, like I said, very he um, very much want, you know was in acting would take acting classes in um in uh, i think in los angeles you know moved to la meets up with greg sestero who would later become his co-star and producer and eventual biographer um i heavily recommend greg sestero's the disaster room no disaster artist the disaster i don't know it's the greg sestero's the i can look it up for you buddy uh i'm faster than you are so, oh wow! <laughs> Let me tell you what I know about Greg Sestero. Okay, the disaster. <laughs> Greg Sestero is the disaster artist, which is a, kind of the story about how he met Tommy and how um, through his association and Tommy's just emotionally damaged yet st- so wanted this to to almost like you know had a, became became so successful. I dropped some ecstasy. That's why I'm kind of feeling the chair that we're on now. And it could Are get you weird. You guys, the chair now? a little bit. Mm-hmm. Greg Sestero. Uh, Greg Sestero, where, because uh, Tommy Wiseau became actually surprisingly successful at what he did somehow. Maybe he, like, laundered, you know, something, you know, like, uh, laundered money for, no one knows. Became successful. Wanted to uh, wanted to build his ideal life on screen that he did not have in real life, which, and so wound up making The Room, which is um, a really, really weird, almost like a single set play but had a had a had way too much had far more money than he had talent or or ability you know he had a, he had as much money as he had you know uh motivation but as much as much money as he had um you know he had as little like you know talent to do it the room itself is what happened when you had a guy who just kind of like hired random people and wanted to film this thing in Los in in Los Angeles and like his I think at one point um he, he, uh, he either he fired his entire crew or they quit or both so he made the film a couple times and it's a thing where he he I think he poured like 6 to 8 million into this movie <laughs> that looks like it was made for about $50,000 which that much money? Yeah, he spent. He's millions are spent on this, <laughs> and, it, and it looks like it was made for like like it looks like it was made for thirty to fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, but, I mean, but it does look much better than Fateful Findings, but not that yeah. much better. Well, it's <laughs> because it's actually a low bar. Well, the, the thing, uh, Time Wiseau at least had money to hire professionals, had, mm. even though he had no idea how to direct them. The crew of the the room, you know, 
could technically make, you know, we're, we're at least efficient enough to do certain things. And I think Tommy Wiseau is a better actor than Neil Breen. Yes. Am I wrong about that? Uh, he, tr- uh, he tries harder. He can affect uh, his accent is worse, but at least um, maybe he goes for it more. He he can he can exhibit intensity of of emotion, um, not necessarily accurately, but at least uh, at least the same volume. Mm-hmm. You're tearing me apart. Yeah, that's a thing he says. You are lying. I never hit you. You are tearing me apart, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's your turn. Me- I'm looking at you when I say that. No, because it's, because yeah, no, his weird. Thank guess, you for clarifying. No, his weird. Uh, but they, uh, but the the room is actually old news. But it's kind of a thing where it's. In fact, I think it's still. I don't know if for the for many many years, Cinema Twenty One downtown would air the room at least once a month and have like you know a line around the block. Yeah, it was like their midnight movie. Yeah, it was their midnight movie for like from oh eight oh nine or so. I can remember going out there and yeah, we went and saw it at least twice. Yeah, for um, for my birthday in like twenty. 2010 i guess whatever it was we you know had everybody meet up at the blue moon up the street another mcminimins location much like the mission theater only about six blocks away met there and then got in line and went and saw the uh saw the room that night with a bunch of people and it was a great experience the way, what that brings into um the what how that connects to neil breen's work is that the sublimity of truly truly um uh, I'll use Mike Stoklas's description of it, uh, you know, uh, horrifically inept filmmaking where it's not, it, you are, it's, it's, you know, it's something beyond Dunning-Kruger of like, just like, you know, just, you know, not knowing, you know, lacking that bit of your head that, um, that tells you because you are incompetent at something. Yeah, that knows you're out of your depth. Yeah, that, yeah, the, lacking the self-awareness that knows that you are, you know, that you are terrible at something because, you know, you are bad at something and you also lack the ability to tell that you are bad at something. Therefore, somehow you think you are above average at something and you decide to display that trait to the world. Because I was listening to a podcast and I'm, and I, I, I wish I could remember which one fairly recently. They were talking about like, how people who are good at making films can get into a situation where they're like, we're making a bad film and there's nothing we can do about it. You know what I mean? Right. How, how many things have to come together to make a good film or right. even like an okay film? And and that's people that know what they're doing. Right. You know what I mean? And then you, and you take this thing where it's like, these people have no idea what they're doing. And for some reason, that makes somehow, a sometimes a more watchable film than the people that know what they're doing. Well, there's a naivete about it. It's sort of like watching people who can't dance who still actually get out there and try it. No, not you, sweetie, because you actually can dance. You just don't do it. That's different. Um, so, but I mean, like, they actually, you get serious points if you get out there and do it regardless. I mean, it's one of the things I love about Mystery Science Theater is it's an excuse to watch these movies that are in and of themselves, like, terrible and unwatchable. However... The fact that people actually sat down and made them, they put in all the time and effort to create this film, movie, flick, whatever the case may be. Thing. And there is an excuse. There's a vehicle through which you can watch it and experience it that makes it tolerable for the entire length of the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, makes me happy. And especially, again, as somebody who thinks of herself as a creative, I find it reassuring that people can create things that are maybe, you know, below adequate and yet they still get made out in the world. And if that's all the bar you need <laughs> in order to make something, put it out in the world, that's like reassuring. Yeah. It, uh, it's liberating re- even. 
reinforcing the DIY ethos. Well, it's, in a postmodern sense, you can make it's like cutting up old songs to make new songs. It's like you can find a, a new way to show this. That is fun. Uh-huh. You're right, McKendry. Yes, I am. The thing about um, the one thing I will notice is that there is a um, I can't think about it's it's not a one to one relation, but there's a difference between uh, I want to say um, quality of filmmaking versus how compelling it is. Because you can be, you you know, you can have a, uh, mediocrity is a, um, what happens when you have, when you can have like, you know, qualified and quality people doing something that's uninspired. Mm -hmm. But when you have, say, unqualified people who are very inspired, you can get, you know, something that is far more compelling to watch. And then you get Neil Breen, who is both unqualified and uninspired. I think he's very (laughs) inspired. I think he's very inspired. It's just that um, he's got too many. He has no idea how to judge. Both the being on the spectrum probably does not help because he exhibits as though he is um, plotting the way it is. It is. uh, Sorry, I'm just I'm so there's no plotting. Yeah, it's well, or there was at least there's eight, much plotting. There, there's a lot of plot. There, there there's was no plotting way. for at least four films. <laughs> yeah, there, like I said, there's at least like eight subplots in this one, in in Fateful Findings alone. Much even or even um, none early, of which reach satisfying resolution. I really wouldn't want to share a bed with that man. Even if he was paying you a full two hundred fifty dollars to be in his film. <laughs> <with him>. um, <laughs> No, he claims he, uh, you know, it's like one of his comments, he says, well, you know, I feed my crews. I, I pay them SAG scale. He always says I pay them like SAG scale wages as if the, even though they're a non-union crew. You think I don't, that's true? I don't know. Um, well, no, check that out. I think that's... I also I, make them sign a gag order, but... Yeah. Well... <laughs> I don't know. That's a, a different kind of an NDA. Oh. In someone's A. Um, oh, my... I don't know. I lost it. Something about how he treats his actors, treats them well. There was I sagging think, yeah. going on, but you know that's you know. Yeah, I think with it, I think he really does. Uh, I think he does at least pay. Well, certainly for a for a um, a, a a non-union indie film shooting in in and around Vegas, he probably pays well mm-hmm. um, from the libertarian wasteland that is that part of Nevada. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I mean, what else would explain like like I mean how would he get people to be in his movie like people, no one thinks that's a good movie right no people okay, I think so did you notice the quality of the acting in that movie I mean the fact that they Look, got actually they were offered a paycheck at all is somewhat remarkable but that's what I'm saying it's like it's like even though they're bad at acting they have to know they're in a bad movie not if you are a non-actor or you oh. say, hey, you help he, he. The thing is, you get there are so many people, and this goes back to the MST three K era, MST three K era as well. People who really, really want to be, hey, we, you know, I got a lot, I got like ten thousand dollars. Let's be in the movies. Um, and yet, as somebody who's now watched a number of Mystery Science Theater episodes and seen now a lot of very bad movies, Neil Breen is special. Like he really is special. I, it, and there and it. I, I don't necessarily know if the actors in his movies realize that they're as bad in movies as they are, or if they just do not care, or if they're entirely sober. I think it's a mix. I know that the actress for Pass Through has said that she never got a full script, 
and they would be like, you know, she'd get like five pages, and they go out shooting the desert, and it'd be like a hundred degrees. Also, when um, <laughs> connect the, the that's that's how uh, you know, I found out about how they were gonna do. They were doing live screenings in like North in like North Hollywood for Neil Breen's latest film through the Flophouse podcast Facebook group. Where at one point, because of that, people once they heard that. There's gonna be the screen. They immediately started like forming like meetup groups. And, like, yeah, you know, let's all meet up there and go there. And you know, we're posting, you know, like you know, live from the scene that like, oh my god, the actress is here. And I guess at one point she couldn't understand why everyone and got mad at the fact that the audience was laughing. And I think at one point it was like taking, uh, like snapping photos with her phone and flash of the screen while the film was playing. Flash photography not being not traditionally being the best thing to do of a film projected on a reflective screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so wait, she was upset because people were laughing at the film? Right. I don't think I, don't, I think that it was one of those things where, yeah, he cast so many people who had no idea who who the hell is this guy? He, who cares? You know, he posted on Craigslist. He, you know, he wanted to hire somebody for a couple days. It's the money was good. Screw it. Let's go do this. I'm sorry I interrupted I you. I really don't think they're. I mean. I, I don't want to be harsh or anything, but I don't necessarily think these are the bratest bulbs of the bunch. Mm-hmm. These people. Mackenzie's looking at me movie. like she's trying to console me. <laughs> it's gonna break. It's gonna break my heart to hear these these words. Just, you know, at a, at a certain sense, it's like I said. There is a naive charm to a lot of it. There is a naive charm among the God the variety of socially maladaptive behavior on display of like like how he treats women in the film and how like all the characters most of them women are focused on his protagonist hero of <coughs> like in fateful see in fateful findings how like you know everybody wants to get on his jock uh, whether it's whether they're legally allowed to or not and yet nothing sexy even remotely happens no you know what i mean well, there are sex scenes. I mean, that's in a like really big quotation. Marks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, no, there's a scene in there is a scene in um, there's a scene in his second film, I Am Here Now, where he plays in the you know his, this this um, psychotic alien Jesus character who occasionally would have you know a, a, a guess a love scene. Um, Very upsetting. A love scene with like with like where he was cutting ba- cutting back and forth between like regular Neil Breen, but also Neil Breen in his true alien form, which is a, like this weird crappy. Like said, which, you, which is Mickey Rourke, actually. Yeah, it's like Mickey <laughs> Mickey Rourke as like alien zombie, um, like black wigged like plastic rubber mask that he's like his true form or something. He would, like you know, like rub it on the actor his the co star's face, and and yet who, that is not more disturbing than actual Neil Breen rubbing himself on his actress's the, face. And the thing is is that the alien face, you know, sort of sort of nuzzling the woman is basically what happens in Faithful Findings. Anytime anytime anything sexy happens, it's these very weird Well, he wants to create this juxtaposition of it being like hot sex, which is why we always end up with the shirts somehow dropping around their ankles. Flump flump. Yeah, there's like there's, and, there's two. sound effect, or, it's true. Yes, and but like coupling that with it being tender and meaningful and which is actually what skeeves me out the most. <laughs> if it were it just I don't know. It just, ah. If you haven't seen any of these, again, go on YouTube, just search for Neil Breen Supercut or Neil Breen trailer and the amount of both fan assembled footage and official footage that's out there is more than enough to illustrate what the hell we are talking about. Um, 
what, what's interesting is is his tropes, and he's actually had a couple interviews, both print inter well, print interviews in air quotes, as well as like people who have posted their uh, their podcast on YouTube. Again, you know, Neil Breen on YouTube, you can find a lot of stuff. We're interviewing him over over Skype, talking about how you know the themes. His word comes up again about how you know lost you know lost childhood loves, a sense of mysticism. Um, you know, a sense of exposing the power structures that be. Now, like, a, a lot of your films uh, encompass, uh, like, uh, government corruption or the collusion between uh, big business and government. Um, and is that something that you had personal feelings about, or did you just see it as a good plot device? No, actually, I do. I think, like, we all have, to one degree or another, personal feelings. Uh, a common thread, and obviously if I write all three films, it must be in my head somewhere, but a common thread in all of my films, without being repetitious, um, is are three elements, actually. One is sort of a mysticism or a paranormal um, element. A second one is a, uh, a social commentary which is what you're referring to. Right. Um, and a third is kind of a lost love uh, or a lost romance kind of element in life. And those three elements, the social commentary, the mysticism, uh, and the romance, for lack of a better term, or lost romance, are really common in all three of my films. Um, I just find them interesting um, as far as the social commentary goes, I don't try to tell people what's right or wrong. I don't preach to people. Yeah. You know, I just sort of lay out something that I think is interesting and thought-provoking. Now, uh, um, did all three levels, whether it be the paranormal, the romantic, or the uh, social uh, commentary slash political side of things? A lot of the, there is this hyper-individualist, like, neoliberal, white, Las Vegas, libertarian, um, independent, how do you want to, you know, independent, like, you know, a man, you know, it's like, go out and strike out, you know, against all the corporations and the politicians and... Uh, yeah, it's the it's the sort of uh, uh, Ron Paul sort of... Very much uh, so. Like, like, kind of like a prototypical Ron Paul supporter, you know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, so and so, all of the characters he he portrays are versions of that. Because every character he portrays, including Alien Jesus, who really does, you know, the opening of the film comes down from the sky, touches down wearing a gown, stigmata, and uh, at one Whoa, point, stigmata, really? Oh yeah, no, there's a shot of stigmata, and like I said, nice. the entire, you know, the entire second film is down there. I'll, I'll show it to you guys later. Um, you know, like I said, just the opening shot of the introductory shot of his character coming in on the second film of like actually having this huge like like baptismal um, you know as it, wearing that gown as if he was about to be dunked and have his sins cleaned by the River Jordan um, but also of course strapped circuit boards to like his chest <laughs> and his arms and whatnot I guess I don't know and another which is so and yet one minute and yet like in in the only one I've actually seen, Faithful Findings, um, the vast majority of the time is actually spent on relationships. Yeah, like all of these other plots are like kind of 
touched on every so often to remind you that he actually is this like amazing like very important very powerful man in some bizarre way the most important and yet the mo most of the time is spent with him in relationships that with so, women that is so interesting yeah and then, i never and thought then, about and it then that when way you, and when you mentioned the whole how like the child the lost childhood love i mean right. if that is a repeated theme in his movies i mean clearly i do think <laughs> as we've, we've mentioned before, that there is a hint of autobiographicalness to his movies. And you have to wonder if maybe that's why all the, all the actresses in his movies are like a third his age. Yeah, it's mm. that's the thing. All, there, there was like a lost childhood love, but the lost childhood love is always, the uh, you know, you have a young character playing, I guess, young version of the protagonist, but they're always the same age as you know it's always like boy and girl same age uh, but later on you know um you know 20 odd years later it turns out to be uh, you have 25 30 year old actress 55 60 year olds uh, neil brain but his life is so hard and so intense that he's just ages really fast well when you're such a great person and you spend all all night hacking on seven or eight computers uh, yeah, that are not that are not even hacking turned on which, yeah, which is how good he is at hacking he doesn't even turn the computer on it was he's say, so you, good at hacking uh, yeah he's the best at hacking it's um, the uh, it's going to take a toll on the body you know what i mean yeah the uh, you well, can, especially why he's like you know burning all of that energy writing you know very impressive novels yeah. you know that made so very millions much money. of dollars oh yeah. my god no more books I'm not going to give you the next book that's it don't call here anymore no more damn books. No more books. He has. Yeah. He, he. Not only is he the world's greatest hacker. He hacked so much he shot his wad. Yeah, but he also, um, you know, has already written at least like one bestseller for one bestseller for his publisher, who keeps you know, the you know. Time, um, I almost said Tommy Wiseau. Neil Breen has so much to give for everyone that they, that he is beset upon by by these takers from all sides. Just want you know they want emotions. You know uh, whether either like you know local neighborhood high school girls want his jock or. Um, God, what else? Uh, you know, he, you know, the, his wife and or childhood love also, of course, fall for his jock too. But at the same time, you know, he is this, you know, uh, f famous author. So of course, even the publishers want his jock too and bug him at his at his hacking desk about, <laughs> you know, like wanting him to sign the dotted line for, the, you know, to get an advance, you know, an advance for his next book, which of course makes him proclaim how he won't write, you know, he's not going to write any more books for them. And we haven't even got to his magic stones yet. Yes, the like I said, bringing in the mystic, the incoherent. The, guy's got a real set of stones. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and at least. Two or three of his films, kind of weird, inexplicable. It's kind of like it's someone who saw all of the weird crap from uh, from Twin Peaks, and decided um, and decided that they were going to bring that too, but had even less of an idea what they were doing than <laughs> like even David Lynch in his most f you. I'm not explaining what the hell is going on. Weird, um, uh, supernatural, mystic bits of of any of any uh, David Lynch product or project rather. Neil Breen also wanted to do that where, like, you know, character, you know, his characters, of course, always played by himself, somehow gain magic powers that they only use, like, once or twice. And then are aren't really explained. Aren't really explained. Never referred to again. There's always, like, shadowy, uh, shadowy figures who are only, like, you, we only see, like, their shiny business shoe feet who kind of walk around and kind of, like, you know. Which, 
Which, Either dissolve like, in and out of the shot. He spends a lot of time focusing on his shoes. Th- that movie should... The movie should be about that. And that's the weirdest thing. It's like for him, it's just a sort of... It's just the afterthought. It, like, yeah, it's just it's just one of twelve plots to to shoehorn into this film. Is that part of what makes it fun? Is like, it, it really is like, what can possibly go, be going through his mind? Like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know if I don't know if anyone does or if he does or if it's just the thing. I, where... I'm certain he doesn't. Mm. But I, I was hoping someone would. Um, I wanted to go back to something else too. Oh, fuck, I forgot it. But Neil Brain. World's greatest human. Right. I was thinking about how, like, it, it, ways in which it's talking about, you know, David Lynch and, and maybe he was inspired in some ways by Lynch and that we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre the other night, mm-hmm. right? And so while watching Faithful Findings, there were two two things as far as the direction goes that just were annoying as all get out. And one of them was that he would each scene would take forever nothing was happening but it would take forever like he was trying to create some sort of suspense or pacing and then also he was obsessed with upshots you know angles were really embracing people's nostrils which is almost never a good look for anyone and people really should stop it but then we were watching texas chainsaw massacre a couple of days later or even the next day and the director also has all these scenes that just move very slowly and all this quiet space and also very much obsessed with the upshots and yet these were well done and yet the 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 quietness created the suspense the upshots actually were effective and and really quite lovely in a number of cases and it it's i had to wonder if uh neil breen hadn't been somewhat inspired and i had the same thought Mm -hmm. well it's almost like knowing how to use the language of cinema versus having no Versus having no idea and completely incoherent. Exactly. What? Well, yeah, like it happening on an accident. Yeah. No, I think even <laughs> even if you were like it, it, like it was an homage. Even if you were inspired by or was trying to like do the same thing, that like this is the difference between somebody who can use the tool and somebody who knows what the tool can do, but is completely ineffectual of using it themselves. Oh, right. I see. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a better movie. But... Oh my god, it's so good. I have never seen it with sound. Oh. Interesting. The only time I, the only the only time I ever saw it was um, back again back in Ann Arbor, um, because I was at one point I was deputy sound guy of the other cool place to play in um, in nearby Ypsilanti. Uh, there was a there during the early aughts explosion of noise bands all uh, that happened. Um, a lo- local heroes for that word Wolf Eyes. Great name. Wolf, Wolf Eyes played the bar that I did sound at in Deflon Noise Show, but they also had um, the bar uh, had TV monitors, but also had rigged up a system where you there was a VCR and DVD player right by the soundboard that I was at, and so I would put on DVDs or something just as like you know on the monitor, so some people would have things to watch in case the band was boring. Uh, so at one point, one of the members of Wolf, I think it was, uh, yeah, Aaron Dillaway from Wolf Eyes had a copy of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, gave it to me. So I put that on the on the house monitors <laughs> to, uh, to have that just playing, why, which actually was perfect accompaniment to like them doing their full on like 20, 30 minute, just loud, you know, loud, loud noise set. And so we just let we just let the whole thing play. You know, it was only you know only the video. Let the whole film play for the rest of the night well, during like two or three bands. It's a very bizarre movie, and if you're watching bizarre music, that seems like a nice nice 
meshing together. Right. So bravo to you, Jeremy, is what I say. Right. Well, the right place, right time. You know, it's got the randomness of uh, the randomness of existence, kind of uh, fitting together. But you haven't seen Texas Ch- Chainsaw Massacre with sound, which, which is no, I, or I mean, nor no, have I. No, serendipitous. Serendipitous. Yes. That's the word I'm thinking of. Surreptitious. Serendipitous. Okay. Nor have I seen any of the remakes or the one that had, I believe, what did didn't one of them have Renee Zellweger in it? Renee Zellweger and Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I've not seen which. I believe it was it four, three or four. Which yeah. one? Which one? Was, which I haven't seen either. Wait, was that the comedy one? I thought, the, or was the second one the comedy one? Which one? It might have been the second one. I think the second one was because I think I really don't know. I've seen the first one and the first remake. That's what I've seen. But and I liked you... them both, to be honest with you. Wait, didn't wasn't the first remake done by uh, by Rob Zombie or anything or something else? <clears throat> no, that's Halloween. Oh yeah. The first remake, I don't Damn know it. who made it, but it had Jessica Biel in it. I w- I'm disappointing Danzig because I did not remember Halloween. <laughs> uh, when uh, G- Garrett and I, when we first tried to make a band in the summer of '05, that was a long time ago. Um, in our in the basement of the house that I lived in up on Northeast Sixth and Prescott, thanks to a Craigslist posting, met um, met a former art student from Lexington. Named Dave. Shout lit, out Dave. Uh, later, later to be known as Drummer Dave. Drummer Dave. Who um, at one point we were teaching how to play because uh, I played bass, Garrett played guitar, and sings. Both of us would sing, but also, um, but Dave would have like timbales and would like play. And at one point we were teaching him how to play "Where, Where Eagles Dare," and Dave would be like mixing That's a in misfit like, song, by the way. Yeah, mixing in like like um, mixing in like timbales. Into uh, into this misfit song. Dave, Dave is a very singular person. Yes, a very singular. And I mean that in, in a nice way. Anything like being very unique. Yeah, unique and about support. He's they, very unique and very singular. You know, you're upsetting to me. I know yeah. she doesn't. She's very fucking uptight about words. Not words used correctly. Me- having meanings and they should be used a- appropriately. As though language were in a fluid fucking uh, human Boss engagement. Oh, yeah, there, yeah, there is a difference between connotation and denotation order that the uh, <laughs> that language has both language has both descriptive and prescriptive uses. But this is very usages. true. And yet, yet words do have meanings. David is a singular person. Okay, thank you. I agree with that. A singular person. And I, and I love him. And he's actually a really good drummer. But he's so into... Just kind of what he's doing. Yeah, that he's. It's hard for it to be a band member with him. So, so, so that that was Halloween, and then before that was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But again, it's kind of the purity of indie. I have no idea what I'm going to edit this. Uh, the purity of this indie might be film. One to throw away. Who knows? We we've each had several boozes. Are there any additional uh, like points that we're supposed to be hitting before uh, we complete? There are there. There are always endless points. <laughs> Again, um, it's like Euclidean geometry. It's infinite. Yeah, it's infinite. It's the kind of stuff, like I said, there are there are people far more knowledgeable about both film theory and film production than us. We are mere fans of. Uh, we are mere. I don't know. Not quite dilettantes, but more just. You know, we we are just. We are more fans of the stuff and just want to talk about it and share the brilliance that is. Um, both bad American modern filmmaking, as well as the as well as you know Neil Breen filmmaking with everyone. And I want to be very clear, by the way, that no matter how much smack I am talking about Faithful Findings and Neil Breen in general, 
I loved my experience of watching this movie so much that I told pretty much everyone I know about it all this week. Like everyone, and that's the magic. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I even managed to convince my mom because my mother was a little concerned that people were mean in their appreciation of Neil Breen, and I was able to articulate to her why it is that no, really, they're not. No, it's gonna. I mean, there. That's the thing. There are we due to the. How, uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, American industries and their relative, um, relative revenue strengths. I mean, what American uh, Hollywood is second only to video games in terms of what it, the, the revenues it can draw in, like, you know, the billion, the billions that modern Hollywood filmmakers can, films can make. So there are no, there's no shortage of American filmmakers who should be hated as violently as humanly possible. Some of them are some of them are in charge of various superhero franchises, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, with Neil, what's his name? Zack Snyder. Uh, I didn't say his. I didn't say that. Name check. Uh, Zack Snyder. Fuck off. I didn't say that at all. Um, that's I don't the, know who Jeremy's talking about. That was done with hand about. gestures, by the way. See, that's that was the thing about Suicide Squad is that Suicide Squad was incoherent, and that but it was a, it was not so much. Um, Seeing it was kind of like, and I went and saw, in fact, you can go look over on the shelf. I have, I have, um, action figures, Paul Dini designed action figures from suicide, from the, the original comics of Suicide Squad mm-hmm. that was, that came out in the, either in the Batman or in the Justice League, Paul Dini, Bruce Tim, um, cartoon. Uh, so, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, fan of the, fan of the property that inspired the film, not so much a fan of the comic, the, the bullshit, uh, you know, semi-recent DC New Fifty Two revival. I.e., we're going to take all of our comic superhero stuff and deliberately repurpose everything to aim at forty-year-old uh, DC fanboys. And um, but New Fifty Two is a whole other, a whole other subject. But th- no, but you're out of my depth now, Jeremy. It's it, it, you know, it's all a rich tapestry. <laughs> <laughs> Suicide Suicide Squad, the film was a thing where. It was at least it was like I said it, it failed on many many reasons, but it was inter- it was interesting in that the amount of studio fuckery that happened was so blatant that it um, I want to say it it very easily caused an interest into seeing what was the original you know you know they reshot like half of that they recut half of this what was the original what were the you know much like much like how eventually the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 came out uh, what what um what was the original version of the suicide squad film would that have just been mediocre or would that have been decent at all because what was actually you know taken away and like recut and reshot and all this other stuff um you know this weird mishmash but it, so the end result being a film that was interesting and provoked someone's tap dancing upstairs yeah i was gonna say they, our mics our mics are sensitive that we can actually get our upstairs neighbor suicide squad is a film evoked curiosity in kind of like well this it was like well this was a this was a, a big fizzle but it was a thing where i didn't hate the film or hate what they were trying to do batman v superman was a film where it's kind of a, it, there, the amount of i guess just uh hatred it, it was like this is full on this is full on motherfucking and i and i will say this didn't see the film exposed to a shitload of it 
that it's you know um, Batman v Superman you know as a filmmaking ex- exercise was completely like wrong on so many levels and borderline fascist on so many others. You have a guy who handed the reins to Superman who hated Superman had no much like with the Watchmen you know Zack Snyder also made the Watchmen movie uh, had no idea what the hell the Watchmen was actually about felt that they were going to be accurate just because they used. Um, but look, you know, the movie itself, it, it matches the panels, you know, shot for shot in the same shot con- composition in Meisenstein. Like, no, you're I mis- assumed that he liked The Watchmen, and he, that's why he made that movie. I like, think he, he wanted to make it. I th- oh, no, I think he did, but there's a difference. Unlike, you know, clearly hates Superman, loves Watchmen, but again, it's kind of a thing where the only, the only comics he has ever read are Watchmen and Dark Knight Rises. And that's and, and Dark Knight uh, Dark no uh, yeah, Watchmen 300 and Dark Knight Returns. So you know, no experience in what comics actually are, only experience in um deliberately 80s postmodern um not just reimagining but both Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen served very particular functions in that they kind of reexam, you know, there's a shitload of like theory you can bring into this, but they look back upon the decades of history of American comics, recontextualize a lot of this shit, and almost rebuilt it. Watchmen is very much about it's kind of like deconstructed superheroes to their core, but then reconstructed it and showed why it mattered. Um, All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there we go. Uh, comic rant. Oh, <laughs> Suicide Squad. Like I said, Suicide Squad kind of like car wreck, but not, but not hateable. Nothing to add to that. Yeah, but not, but not hateable bullshit, I guess. And that's why I had, that's why I had a, uh, a podcast, ladies and gentlemen, just I, to, uh, to record and broadcast my views about, uh, current American blockbuster culture. I know that teenagers right now love Suicide Squad, so it's. Well. They have unformed brains. Oh, I know. I'm not saying it's a good movie. I'm not saying that makes it a good movie. I'm just saying, isn't it interesting? The yeah, the weird bit being about how, um, like the uh, half half hot topic, half Facebook like social memes about how like some sort the weird like almost like idealization of like of Harley Quinn as kind of as almost like a much like how um, actually not not even as much as like say like Fifty Shades was of like. You know, you have what uh, uh, of trying to of Fifty Shades was much more like almost like clueless of showing this this completely damaging uh, model of a relationship and but positing it as this is you know this is an acceptable reaction of like this and know, somehow empowering to women. Yeah, there was, yeah, that and also like this completely horrifying, damaging wrong and you know the amount it's kind of like reams were written about how fucked up and kind of. Um, you know how damaging it was that so many people's you know first exposure to kink or to God knows what or kind of any sort of you know non trad relationship or something was this stupid uh, book phenomenon which you can st- which I remember you know worldwide book phenomenon because I would I was in a I was in the airport in Costa Rica and the Spanish language editions of all of those books were in the goddamn airport bookstore. Cinquenta eight shades of gray. Yeah. <laughs> Was, See, I, never, I, I never read any of them partly because I knew they were going to annoy the shit out of me oh, yeah. for two reasons. I knew they were going to be terribly written. And I also knew that their ideas of what is kinky were going to be so simple minded that I, I was just going to spend all my time responding to it like I do Cosmo. And uh, I, I actually had my cousin mm-hmm. confirmed on both cases that I was in fact correct. And I feel perfect. I feel yeah. like ba- that I made the right choice. Somewhere between basic as shit and uh, hilariously um, 
hilariously middle middle brow. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, so, and nobody likes middle brow. I no. don't. No. I fucking hate it. You accused the New York Times of being middle brow the other day. It was very upsetting. It led to an argument. But a lot of it is, uh, but for different reasons. <laughs> I mean, just from the. It looks mean, like you're outnumbered, Miss Thompson. Yeah, just you know, just uh, just for uh, just for their uh, opinion pages alone. See, at least he calls them opinion pages. Right. Oh, okay. So, fine. Op eds. Whatever. No, no, no. Opinion pages is correct. I yeah. kept saying something that she was <laughs> editorial. I kept saying editorial pages, which is not correct. And she was drawing the distinction opinion, that I did... and opinion columns are different. Yeah, she was drawing a distinction that I, I was not aware of, but. Yes, I think I think that their you opinion pages are, are what make the argument about the New York Times on the podcast. No, we're, we're fucking talking about this. No, I'm... Yeah, let's fucking go. Hey, this is bonus content, ladies and gentlemen. We got we got Jane, you ignorant slut. Yeah, we got yeah we have we you know, we're still going. We have uh, I'm not quite flagging enough. We can't go off on the uh, on the bullshit that is uh, the the New York Times at a uh, you know op-ed pages and. How damaging they are to uh, you know to American political and uh, cultural discourse. And I will say this about uh-huh. in in your defense, McKendry. Oh, thank you. You you don't really care that much about the opinion pages. No, I don't. I actually care about the real journalism. Yeah, she cares about the. I don't know what and you the, and the, the rest quality of, it. of the writing, the fact that the writing is exceptionally well done, mm-hmm. and their editors for the most part do their job, mm-hmm. and that they actually do journalism. That helps. I just think mm-hmm. that's way less influential than the opinion page. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, whatevs. But I'm saying it is. It is. It is high quality entertainment. I don't think it deserves to and be I... maligned as middle brow. Is all I'm saying. Well, I don't know if the. I think some of the topics covered. I think the like these. Uh, the fact that they have an entire an entire section of the what is it the Sunday Times? It's all you know the wedding section. Or the society pages, which is I don't even know if that can be it would even be considered. Yeah, I don't think that'd be considered that's middle like, brow because that's that's that, that's not aspiring. The only the only non lowbrow bit that that's aspiring to is just in terms of class. But mm-hmm. is that and I've never seen that. Is like that like well-to-do pages, New Yorkers? Or? It, well, yeah, I mean, it's like wedding pages are part of pretty much any newspaper. I mean, like they're like obits. They're right. the, you know the two most important parts of people's lives, right? Getting married and dying. And some would say mm-hmm. that. Never mind. I, I'm not gonna. Fi- I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna finish that <laughs> that, that hack line. You know, if yeah. Catherine Hagel movies have taught me anything, yeah. it is that dying is very important. No, I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> oh yeah. Anywho, but, but I guess you can't forget that the New York Times actually is, to an extent, a local paper. And yeah, yes. maybe they'll have stuff about weddings. It I don't actually is know. like it is. It does have a significant part of it that is specifically targeted to New York. Proper. I get most of my news from the Drudge Report, so <laughs> and and as yeah. do so many. Yeah, Newsmax. Wait, is Newsmax like a oh yeah a joke no. one? I I can't, I can't even remember anymore. Um, Drudge Report, Newsmax, World News Daily. Uh, there, there. I mean, Infowars. Infowars. Yeah. I mean, like I said, so that's the weird thing is like they've all been supplanted by. Um, they, they, you know, just like one guy with like one guy with just one guy in a Facebook feed <laughs> in a Facebook page. But, but that, that was one of the, that's one of the, one of the oh, most like, so path- one of the most pathetic things about the Drudge Report is that, um, much like with Ain't It Cool News, you have two sites run by people whose apex of cultural relevance and impact, the climax of those bits were in the late nineties and as such, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's some sort of like cargo cult reason, but have yet to really 
change their design away you know, to modernize their design in any feet you know in the in the two decades since the climax of the design you know where drudge report still looks like the clinton era drudge report and in it cool news doesn't look all that much more um updated from uh from you know trying to read it on on netscape Nav- navigator 4.0 <laughs> well they're probably waiting for retro internet to come back you know into fashion I don't think, yeah, I mean, and they'll be the uh, the sort of the the torchbearers of that. I don't know. I don't even. I think uh, no matter how hard, even like you know, uh, post vapor wave will try. I don't think they'll be successful in bringing back that aesthetic. Is that clock correct? Yes. We probably need to wrap up. We got to wrap this up. All right. Um, recommendations. Recommendations. What uh, What can you re- uh, can you recommend? What have you been into lately that you really want to share with the audience? Um, or, you know, what, what should pe- what would you want to turn people on to? <laughs> I would like to, uh, I'd like to echo a recommendation from when, uh, uh, I was on the show last, last time, all those weeks ago, uh, Jeremy recommended a podcast called Chapo Trap House, which I enjoy very, very much. Um, it is, ex- it, it, well, first of all, these guys share a political affinity with me, a, a leftist sort of political affinity and. Uh, they're very knowledgeable about it, so it's really interesting to hear the things they talk about. And they're exposing me to a lot of the sort of the sort of crazy right wing internet culture. Uh, but I mean, like all this stuff about about uh, what was it like gorilla, like like alpha alpha male stuff that goes around. Like, and, it was like the gorilla brain. There's a lot of the gorilla brain, yeah, isn't it? Something like that. A lot and, of what uh, a lot of what goes on with like the alt right, and, and especially with like with like conservative punditry, is very much just manifest manifested sexual psychoses. And so, for a luddite like me, who's not really all that connected to the internet, uh, it's fun to hear about the stuff I don't know about and. And then it's, and then when they're talking about stuff I do know about, it's fun because they're making fun of people I hate, like dot com assholes, uh, you know, tech people that I fucking hate, and you know, David Brooks and uh, I, who, you know, what, what, what Rob, have you? Yeah, Rob Dreyer and yeah, uh, Ross Douthit, you know, uh, the, Douthat, yeah. the, the another NYT opinion uh, page people yeah. from the New York Times. <laughs> yeah, a t- another Times op-ed writer. Yeah. So they're always skewering those people and then uh, what the fuck else is good? I mean, you know, Great British Baking Show is still great. Uh, I'm obsessed. But you are... You, the, but, <laughs> uh, we need new things. The audience have already heard these old things. I know. So I want to talk about something new but I'm, I'm, I'm stalling for time like a politician waiting to answer a question. So, Mackendra, have you thought of anything that you would like to suggest? <laughs> Uh, no, because pretty much my entertainment has consisted of two things in the last few weeks, which is either the Great British Baking Show or uh, obsessively following um, Donald Trump as he melts down. So I don't have a lot going on outside of those two things, to be totally honest. I have two things. I don't think I've shared them before. One thing is a web, a, uh, a vi- web video series, web film series called Don't Hug Me, I'm Scared. Which was made, I think it has been around, there's six videos, been around for, I think the first one first came out, well, five years ago in Dang. in Britain, in the Britain or Wales. It is very much, descri- it is kind of a David Lynchian attempt to go uh, as if, it, a David Lynch film as if it were produced by the children's television workshop. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, Jeremy just introduced us to it, you know, all of three hours ago, and I have to say it was pretty fabulous. She loved it. It made me depressed, so... It is, like I said, it is kind it of is a... delightfully creepy. Dark, phantasmagoric children's programming with, like, you know, puppets and bright colors and songs 
and anthropomorphized household appliances singing thematic songs that somehow go wrong and start warping the reality that the characters find themselves within. There are six episodes. The uh, you know they, at one point this was all, this was. A, the the filmmakers had successful kickstarters to put these things out i encountered this because of um i got to meet i got to meet the the two filmmakers doing that because they they screened the entire six six video series at the xoxo fest in early september here in portland um again it's one of it's very much a thing where what go out because just you know search don't hug me i am don't hug me i'm scared and enjoy and it's one of those much like with neo breen films you can also find on youtube it's one of those things where you see a little bit of it and like oh my god i need to like inflict this on someone else that's one of my uh you garrett you had a question i didn't have a question i thought of something while you were talking about that that i this is a new recommendation sure although it's a book that's probably four or five years old um and i the reason i thought about it is that so that don't hug me i'm scared really made me upset like it really made me bummed out mm. um whereas what i'm going to recommend is a book called uh the beautiful thing that awaits us all by a author named laird baron it's a collection of short stories mm -hmm. it is it is a sort of lovecraftian style horror fiction uh that is upsetting in a very similar way to that show but didn't make me feel upset i enjoyed reading it so good and it's got a great title the beautiful thing that awaits us all and it's very dark and 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 can be very upsetting so I can play that game too. Just I can't watch that that thing that Jeremy's recommending. It made me sad. Well, you don't you don't have a problem with dark and upsetting. It was that it was that it was bringing you in under this notion that it was this like delightful, charming, you know, children's it like starts quirky, very cute. Yeah. you know, kind of like you know an ambiance of Great British Baking Show, and then all of a sudden SmackDown, you're in Super Creepyville, which I appreciate that juxtaposition. But you know, you were all open. I'm, the, yeah, you know. I feel like I was misled. I feel like I was lied to. <laughs> uh, I want cute things to be cute, and I want dark things to be dark. And you know, I and there were the twain shall meet. Compartmentalizing going on over here. Whatever. I can't. I can't stand uh, multiple textures in one. <laughs> anyway, that's that's something I'd recommend. There you go. The second thing I would recommend is a band called Happy Diving. Most uh, in their new album, well, most recent album called Electric Soul Unity, a band that I discovered actually through um, through the Discover Weekly playlist on Spotify of all things, where it's kind of <laughs> where much like with Pandora, how you kind of like you put in your, you know through your listening habits, it has an algorithm that picks out well you know. <laughs> College radio folks will remember the uh, when you get discs at your station that would always have uh, you know R I R I U L recommended if you like uh, you know if you like this stuff X Y and Z listen to this. Similarly, uh, through the Discover Weekly playlist, I discovered like I said discovered this band called Happy Diving. The most recent album is Electric Soul Unity. I heavily recommend their song Don't Be Afraid of Love. It is very much. Um, I want to say modern, not quite shoegazer, but definitely a hell of just wall of like Dinosaur Jr. Like guitar, uh, distorted guitar over distorted guitar over distorted guitar, just like just wall of wall of guitar rock and roll, um, buried vocals, uh, great sound. Uh, I'm gonna play. A, I'm gonna play a clip of it right now. definitely worth checking out so that's again that is happy diving the name of the album is electric soul unity 
and I believe the song is Don't Be Afraid of Love. Well, where can folks find you guys on the internet, or how can they get in touch with you, should they wish? Or do you have anything else to promote? Um, you can check out honkytonkunion.com. That's one of the bands I'm in. You can go to reverbnation.com slash davbros, D-A-V-B-R-O-S, <laughs> to see another band I'm in. Um, you can call me at 503-807-2435. Go, go ahead and send a text before you call. Um, uh, I'm taking a class at PSU. Maybe we could talk about that. Stoicism. Stoicism. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the things I said last time. But yeah, give me a call. I mean, send a text first. Uh, then check out my bands. That's it. Yeah, I, I have a next to no internet presence whatsoever because I'm a much more interesting person in person than I am virtually. And that's all I got. Jeremy's not amused by that. I'm sorry. And if you'd like to get a hold of us here at the show, you can email <laughs> us at givingthemic at gmail.com. Check out our newish Facebook page, which is just Facebook. Slash, you know, look for giving the mic to the wrong person on Facebook. It's easy to find. It's or, uh, you know, hit us up on Twitter, uh, which is at giving the mic. All right, and on behalf of my guests, I'd like to thank you for listening. Um, Lord knows where this is going up, and Lord knows when the next one is, probably sometime soon, but good night, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And we're out. We did it. It's a magical day. I didn't, for whatever reason, I didn't want to, because I wanted a, um, I didn't trust how, uh, trust how low I sound. Turn this up. When I, the first time I went to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me live at the Schnitz, a friend of mine who assumed I would be there was listening to the, uh, you know, recording once it was actually playing on NPR and he was convinced he could hear my laugh Mm -hmm. because, you know, it can be piercing. Well, I mean, he could have been right, right? Entirely possible. Okay, there we go. That might have been before. I knew you. It was. It was. It was actually Glenn. Glenn, you know Glenn. With, oh, he did Glenn episode, Yes, yes, yes. It was Glenn. It was the one on our Glenn first date. Glenn old friends. Glenn took me to wait, wait, don't tell me, and we had seats akin to the seats we had. I think probably for a similar reason. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie and I have also been to wait, wait, don't tell me. We have. I was surprised to see that Peter Sagal was so nebbishy looking. I know. I hope he doesn't hear this. God, it makes it yeah. It makes him that much sexier, actually. Does it? Yes. Well, because you know he's one of those men because he has like a little on top, you know, like kind of balding on top, he's bald, but he so totally he likes looks to fuck, like right? he's. Well, and it totally looks like he's furry from the neck down. I'm just saying, in my experience, that particular yeah. combination. No, he's like Wolverine. I illustri- get it. Indicates a certain level what, of testosterone. By, played by played by an Australian. That has other consequences. I'm just saying. I get, I get it. I hear you. I'm just saying. Sorry, I'm just still screaming. Plus, he's with the smartness and is, the funny, and you know how I like friend, that. This is my lady friend, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. She's talking about how aroused she is by Peter Sagal. Hey, smart, right. funny. Buzz. I'm just saying. Buzz, I have a buzz, type. Buzz. What? Buzz. I think this should be good. I'm still... He's still tinkering. I'm just saying, I'm kind of opposite. Full head of hair, not not the Wolverine body that every, you're... Every, every, yes, this is true. But you have the most important things, which are, you know, you're smart and you're funny. Oh, okay. Well. And you're really pretty to look at. Would you like me to start delineating all the ways no, why no, I find no, you no. attractive? I'm already, because, you know, I'm I already much too embarrassed. Yeah. I, I am recording here. So. <laughs> it's all going according to plan. This is, yeah, this, this is the kind of stuff that gets up. Damn it. <laughs> this is how I... I Act. This, I'm unplugged. This. I'm unplugged.
Ah. Help me. It's mm. gesticulating. It happens. There you go. You feel this. This one is not. All right. For some reason, this, the the adapter is twitchy, and you'll uh, and your thing will go in and out. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Okay, that's usually not my thing, but. Then. That's what he said. <laughs> well, 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 I never. <laughs> Just saying. My monocle. Right <laughs> <laughs> with the damn mic stand. Purchase. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna back this mic off just a little bit more. All right. Because I'm afraid if I do one of my patented loud laughs, it's gonna grab it. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna clip. There we go. A little bit better. Asymmetrical clipping. What is clipping? Clipping's like when you hit the... I don't know. Uh, Jeremy could explain it better. He's an engineer type, but... Uh, clipping is when the... Um, you know how sound is always that little waveform? In mm -hmm. fact, I can I can show you afterwards. But it's when the waveform is amplified more than the uh, than the equipment can allow. Yeah, it's it, called harmonic distortion, right? Isn't that what it's called? It, it can provide harmonic distortions. Okay. So Jeremy knows much more about this than I do. Well... Son of a bitch. I'm in the presence of genius. Well, you're He's a very smart guy. If I was a genius, I wouldn't. I would. I would have uh, not have, not, have gone, not 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 gone that into debt to get my engineering degrees. <laughs> and you would have learned uh, it in the streets like your father. <laughs> yeah. 